Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with John Prothrow. He is the CEO of Foot Solutions and we're going to chat about his acquisition of that and all the challenges and all the lessons learned and where he's going in the future. Thank you for being on the show, John. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I always start off with the origin story. My jo- running joke is, and probably listeners are eventually going to get sick of this one, is you were born and then you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisitions. Can you kind of fill out the gap in between? How did you end up on a show like this? I don't think you want the whole story. It's kind of a long one. And by the way, Ron told me right before the call that this was a video call, so I probably would have cleaned up a little bit more. (laughs) But uh, I got out of college having studied organizational communication because it sounded professional, I guess, and I expected I would go into consulting at some stage. Got into mergers and acquisition by doing post-merger integration planning for a large company and then moved into the M&A advisory world where we were doing sort of lower middle market transactions, mostly brokering, putting them together, but then working on the buy side a lot with some strategic buyers and just kind of learning along the way about how it's all done. And in the process, I started rolling some fees into some of the transactions that we really liked, that I really liked. Enjoyed that quite a bit. Wanted to be on the buy side, was invited by or asked by a client of ours to help them on the operations side about five years ago. So I moved out of M&A and went to work with with a company that was in industrial distribution. So while I was there, I learned a little enough to be dangerous about operations. And when I was done with that project, really just basically a three-year project to get some things done for that company, I started looking at raising a fund to buy a small portfolio. I'd seen it done several times, figured I could do it myself. And I had made some very good friends, very close colleagues in M&A job. And I had figured, well, these guys know and trust me and I know and trust them. So why not? Let's put some money together and buy a portfolio of businesses. While we were raising the money for that project, a friend of mine called and said, hey, one of our clients in Atlanta, a company called Foot Solutions, the owner is about 80 years old and he's just, he's about ready to sell. And I asked him a few questions about it. I originally told him no, (laughs) I wasn't interested. It was too small and too many locations. I thought that's a lot of work for that many locations and that much work. But then I slept on it and I suggested that maybe I could meet the owner and just talk to him about it. And when I did, loved what he had to say. Foot Solutions is a franchisor. And at that time, Foot Solutions had about 60 or so franchises in North America. And it was only franchise businesses. And the company was just collecting checks as the franchisor on the royalty side. And so it was a small business and not a little bit of a dying brand, 
but it looked like a challenge to me and it was sort of making money in, in some ways despite itself, to be honest. So I called my investor friends and said, look, I want to buy this one and I want to run it and let's see what we can do putting capital energy and professionalism behind it. And so three years later, I get called by this podcast guru and that's how I find myself. <laughs> that's interesting. So you've acquired, at this point in the story, you've acquired Foot Solutions. You told me before the before you turned on the mic there that it sounded like there were some other of the franchisees that were looking to retire. Is that one of the expansion opportunities you've seen? Okay, I can take the master franchise and yeah. then maybe bring some of the franchisees in-house, drive up the revenue a little bit more and put money, does that give you money to put back into the overall marketing and expansion of the whole franchise as a whole? Yeah, that was the idea. So we weren't going to be attractive in terms of shareholder value, just collecting royalties from 60 locations in North America. That wasn't going to work. But I knew that because it was a 20-year-old brand that several of the franchisees were probably looking to retire. And also we could open some corporate stores. So we've bought five locations so far, opened a few. And then we went to Florida and bought a competitor of ours in Florida, a company called Happy Feet Plus, which has been a good acquisition. And they were doing similar business to us. A little bit more retail, a little bit more fashion, but similar foot wellness sort of focus. So we now, we operate 20 corporate stores. We're making money in different channels and we've got enough scale to build up a support team. So we have about 30 people on the corporate side now and another 60 retail employees. And then those 30 people are really able to support franchises. And so it was only recently where we turned on the franchise sales again. We weren't really that interested in selling franchises when... We weren't really ready to support them, but now uh, we figured we are. Awesome. So everybody knows Foot Solutions and maybe even Happy Feet. Does, do they make shoes or do they actually make orthopedics that go in shoes? Or Yeah, I'll back up a little bit. So Foot Solutions is a foot wellness brand. Our value proposition is that your feet are the foundation of your health. Let us take care of them for you. And so we carry healthy footwear and truly custom orthotics. So a lot of places you can go and get your feet scanned that is just sort of a retail theater, but our technology and our service is really based on a caring expert service. So if somebody need to go to like an orthopedic specialist or whatever a foot doctor is called and then have a orthopedics prescribed to them or they go to you and you hook them up with a doctor and I mean, what's the process? That we get a lot of medical referrals. We're allies. We have folks that are very highly trained and independently certified to do custom orthotic design and footwear selection but we're not doctors. We, we get a lot of referrals from the medical profession. So your podiatrist, if you go in there with a foot issue that could be helped by wearing better shoes or having custom orthotics made for you, they'll write a prescription and send you to Foot Solutions. I've seen in the show notes, it said you primarily work with the aging population. Do you do the kids orthopedics also, like corrective shoes and stuff? We don't sell kids' shoes. That's a game we don't really want to play. Kids are growing out of them real quickly, and parents don't want to spend, rightly so, they don't want to spend more than 30 bucks for a pair of shoes. So we focus only on adults in terms of footwear. But we can create and do help a lot of children who need custom orthotics in their shoes. And people are wearing them earlier and earlier. When we're serving aging population, it's really kind of the 40 plus, the people that are starting to feel, starting to understand their, their health a little bit better and starting to look for preventative medicine as well as trying to solve some problems. I mean, I know after I turned 40, I stopped feeling like I was invincible and <laughs> I started needing some help. I don't think I've ever said this one on air. When I was a child, it was common for kids who had any type of 
we call it, like they weren't walking what the doctors thought were normal. They would give us corrective shoes. So I actually, I guess I walked on the insides of my feet really bad. So they yeah. put me in corrective shoes until I was probably in second or third grade. And as an adult, I noticed my shoes, like if I wear cowboy boots, they last for years, I can see that they still wear toward the inside more than they do to the outside. So yeah, I still probably have. don't realize that hurts your, it's not just your feet that's affecting. It's over your biomechanics and your knees and your hips and your back. It all sort of stems from your feet and your foundation. So we love our niche. We love where we're at within the health and wellness sector. So people don't typically notice their feet are hurting until they're up and active and moving around. Like I have a bad habit. I love my Birkenstocks, but I know if I'm going to be up and walking more than a few hundred feet for the between places, I put tennis shoes on because they hurt my feet for some reason. I like walking around in them. I don't mind being lounging around the house or running to the beach and doing that. But if we're going to go for a walk or something, I'll switch over to tennis shoes. The reason I brought up the activities thing is when COVID hit and everybody was told to stay inside, I promise you those of us from the South probably didn't put on shoes for months on end, right? I, I joke around, so the only reason us from South wear shoes is you won't let us get our coffee and donuts in your fancy stores unless <laughs> yeah. we have some on. Yeah. But how did that impact sales? It had to be pretty devastating when, I mean, the less active you are, I guess the less you're going to know that you've got pain in the feet and that type of actually issue. the world reacted a little bit different than you did a lot of people got tired of being inside and started getting out and being more active and of course they had more time on their hands what it did do it had a major impact on on more fashion brands and work shoes so everybody started buying sneakers go back and look at all the press releases from the major sneaker brands they're having amazing years since covid Bought Foot Solutions, which of course is a chain of retail stores or franchise stores. You're serving primarily folks that are 40 plus and a lot of the elderly population buy their shoes at Foot Solutions because we help them pick out the right ones for them. And we bought it one week before the first COVID death was announced. So you can imagine my friends ribbing me about my investment timing, but it was a good situation. At the end of the day, it turned out to be overall fairly good for the business because we were a new ownership group. Um, and the brand had kind of gotten off the reservation a little bit. A lot of the franchisees had started doing their own thing. And when crisis hits, it's a time to pull together. And so we did our best to really build a culture of collaboration and teamwork during that time. And we did a lot of the heavy lifting on the brand. We did a whole rebrand with a group that had worked with Audi and Facebook. And we spent a lot of the money and time that we were going to do over time. We had a whole year where we really weren't collecting anything, any cash or having much to do besides try to navigate COVID. So we spent that time getting to know the franchisees a bit better, what they needed and rebranding. And culturally, I think it was very good because when crisis hits, you want to know who's who's on your team and who's on your side. And I think we, we demonstrated to the franchisees that we were with them. Now, you guys is 100% brick and mortar or can people send in a prescription for orthopedic insoles or whatever and get them online or... Well, that's the difference. So we're not a we're not a product business. We do sell product, but we're a service business, and it's a personalized, uh, custom service. So you can't really get it on the internet. Now, if you find shoes that you like, like you like your Birkenstocks or whatever, you can buy them for Foot Solutions or buy them on HappyFeet.com. But <clears throat> we sell very little online. We don't push it very hard because you need to come in and you need an expert to see you and help you pick something out. And you really can't do that on the internet. Okay. I was curious if you had to make a shift to being more online during COVID or not, but it sounds like you just dug down, built the brand and retooled some of your support services and stuff during that time. Yeah. So some of our franchises work with Medicare very closely. 
especially there's a thing called the diabetic shoe bill. I won't bore you with it, but if you're diabetic and you have foot issues related to your diabetes, then you can get a prescription and, and Medicare will cover 80% allowable. Several of our stores were considered essential during that time because some of the elderly population or the folks on Medicare needed to get to a place that can get them their diabetic insoles and footwear. Because it actually, that's preventative medicine for sure. Did you guys look at that and go, okay, we need to get some more stores under that certification or qualification? It certainly is best practice as a foot solutions to be Medicare accredited. As a corporate, we try to have at least one in each area that's Medicare accredited. It's a bit of a pain. No offense to Medicare, but they're pretty aggressive about audits and things like that. It's not something you want to do unless you have a need for it, but it is best practice to do it as a foot solutions. So you went from being on the advising side and corporate side to buying your own. Is there anything that was different from theory and all the stuff you did prior to buying Foot Solutions that once you got in there, you acquired this thing like, man, I wish I'd have known that before I bought it or, hey, next time I'm doing this differently. What was the lessons learned in the process? What a great question. You couldn't have sent me that question before we got on. (laughs) I love it, raw and organic. We're (laughs) going to figure it out as we go. Well, I've never been a financier. Okay. Let me just be clear on that. I don't like sport coats and I don't have an MBA. So much of what I know, in fact, almost hundred percent of I know of what I know is from experience. I will say you get in each acquisition we've done, a lot of the assumptions that we've made have turned out to be inaccurate. And so when we're building a plan, a, a business plan around acquisitions and growing, much of what we do is more, is more high-level goal setting uh, that have a handful of initiatives that you want to get accomplished. But how you accomplish them and where you where the resources come from and who you're going to use in that whole process, that changes pretty quickly because um, as much as I think I know people, for instance, you'll get in and you think you know that guy and you didn't and that guy's not capable of this and this lady's better at that and moving those boxes around. It's really easy to look at, a, at an org chart I used to do this quite a lot and still do it. Look at an org chart and go, okay, we don't need two CFOs. So let's use this one here and let's put the boxes together like that. When you get into an organization, when you see where the power structures are, where the communication levels are and who's talking to who and or to whom, and you get to know the people in the business, then that's the only time when you really can do that on an accurate level, I think. Well, I agree with that. I think one of the things I used to try to do, I was a tech manager for a long time running tech divisions of companies. So I'd have 50, 100, I think the most employees I ever had underneath me was like 185 at a big tech startup. One of the things I always try to track is who went with who. So meaning that yeah, like if yeah. one of my key employees left, I could actually almost tell you that these three or one of my managers left. Within a year, these other three guys are going because they worked with that same guy for the last three companies. And that, that happens a lot in the tech industry. There's a web inside of communications and personal development and relationships inside of these companies. And I can see where if you moved into a company you just acquired, if you don't know what that connection base is, who influences, who really has a true power, there used to be a decision making or a action taking, I should say, process I always used to use. And it was knowledge, influence, and power. Somebody had the power to make it happen. Somebody had the knowledge to come up with the idea in engineering. But somebody could influence the guy with power. So if you ever knew all three of those players, you can get anything in a company done, 
You could be the yeah. guy with, you're the guy that I had the idea and the guy that has the power to get it. No, I won't listen to you. Who does he listen to? That's the point of influence. So you go through the point of influence, educate them, bring them up to speed, and then go through the power. If you're the guy with power, you don't know what needs to happen. You start talking. So th those three things work together. But you can walk into a company and not realize the person with power to really get stuff done happens to be the administrator's assistant that sits at the front desk. The most least essential person you see on a work chart could be the person that really is just getting stuff done there and holding everything together. I could truly gather that. I've seen it occur. It's so. funny you mentioned tech because it's one of the things I always mess up because I have a very optimistic outlook. And I guess you sort of have to do that to be an entrepreneur and think, oh, I'm going to go buy this business and run it. But the technology side of it, I always underestimate how long it's going to take to get the tech stack right. <laughs> every time. It doesn't matter. Every time I get it wrong. I'm thinking, we'll get this done in six months. And then 18 months later, it's still pending. Yeah. That happens and the opposite happens to, as a guy who was a tech director for a long time, I could actually tell you who on my team, if they told me it was something that take a week, it was going to take three. And I could also tell you the guy on the team, if he told you it would take him two weeks, he'd get it done in two or three days. He right. just kind of knew how people moved and how they forecasted yeah. their own abilities. But a lot of these things in that tech stack you're talking about, a lot of them are easy to install, but hard to truly adopt and actually get proficient at running correctly. Yeah. And get people bought into using it. Yeah. Especially anybody that's been there for uh, for years, they've, they've got their own routines, they've got their own ways of doing things. And you go put in a fancy system and tell them their Excel spreadsheets are no good anymore, but they just, they can't use that new system like they can the back of a hand of an Excel spreadsheet they've been using for 10 years. And they don't get it as, you know, within two weeks to be more efficient on the other system and it opens up you for everybody. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, but, we just scrapped, we just built a software that we just scrapped the other day because the team wasn't using it on the medical billing side. <laughs> I said, well, nobody's using it. I don't want to pay for it to be stored somewhere. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. That's a major one every single time, and I never learn my lesson. So one of the reasons I don't want to do tech starts, startups anymore, because what you're talking about is product market fit. You have it inside of a company and outside of a company. You just built a product that didn't have a product market fit. Your market was your employees and your franchisees. They didn't need it, didn't see a need for it, didn't fit their needs, so yeah. you couldn't get it to work. <clears throat> That's the problem with every tech startup out there is they raise a bunch of money and they're just seeing if the market wants it. They're trying to find out, is there a product market fit for this? Now, yeah. I use these terms. I am your guy with the MBA and probably more college degrees than the average fool should have. But uh, I thought I was going to be a college professor. And then I tried that as an adjunct professor. Yeah. Well, I realized I don't like studying no kids whose mommy and daddy's paying their way through college. And the professor, they paid a full ride to, like, and the dean wants you to pass them. That really got on my nerves. I was an adjunct professor. For, I won't say the name of the college because of what I just said, but two different colleges. And there were times at both those schools where the dean come to me and said, you got to help this kid pass. I was like, he's not trying. Yeah, but his parents have paid to, already paid for this year, next year in advance. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> they didn't pay me. They paid you guys, right? I get paid the same whether I pass this guy or not. And that one, one of the deans told me, well, if he doesn't pass, you don't come back next quarter. I was like, okay, I won't come back. See you later. Let's finish this up and I'm out of here. Anyway, I've seen him on social media. I'm still friends with him on social media because he friend requested me but way before I ever knew his. Well, you're, friend, you're friends now until he listens to this podcast. Yeah. He probably knows who I'm talking about. And he's got that degree. And I'm sure it's like, in my mind, it's like all he did is did a disservice. It's like you keeping a bad employee for more than a year, you're doing a disservice to that person and any future employer because. Number one, he's causing problems. If he's truly a bad employee, he's causing problems and being disruptive to your organization. And then what you're doing to the next organization is like, well, he kept that job for three years. It can't be that bad. 
And so you're doing a disservice to the next organization too. I always believe there's no such thing as a bad employee. There just happens to be better jobs for them out there than the one I've given them. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's probably mostly true. I do think that's true in a lot of sense. Some people just aren't a good fit for your culture. They're not a good fit for what you've asked them to do. And so in some cases, letting somebody go is a mercy killing in some ways. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even just letting them go. It's like sitting down with them like, look, it's very apparent that you don't want to be doing what you're currently doing. What mm -hmm. is it you want to do, right? If you can see somebody's intelligent, has potential, they're putting in the hours, they just don't have the skill set and they don't have the drive to get the skill set. Mm -hmm. If you can find what really truly motivates them and you have that need, then you can give them a shot and move it. I'm not a big believer in just like not having the conversation before I let somebody go, but... Most More often than not, the end answer is they've already kind of poisoned themselves there. They already made their mind up and they're just kind of what they call it now, quiet quitting. They're waiting to be fired. They already know it's coming. I've been in organizations where I got hired in to clean up stuff a couple of times. I won't say the name of the company because I'm going to say something pretty bad. Through acquisitions and mergers, a tech company bought another tech company and they reached out to me and said, hey, we got a problem over here. We bought this company. They're kind of rebelling on us. Equipment's going disappearing. Think projects aren't getting done. Want to bring in over there as the VP of IT or the senior director of technology. And I want you to track all the equipment, figure out where it's going, that type of stuff. And I was working with the parent company's legal department. We were working with law enforcement. We ended up walking a few people out in handcuffs, mainly because when we fired them, they made the death threats. I didn't want to do the job. It was one of those things. I was like, okay, I'll do this if you pay me an extra. I gave them this huge hourly rate. And they're like, okay. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I had given them a bigger number. <laughs> no, luckily, we don't get a lot of that in the shoe business and insole business. Not a lot yeah. of death threats. This was one of those, a big commercialized company bought something that had been open source before. So open source software. All the people working at the open source software company seen their seen it as their executives betrayed them. They sold out. But uh, they go back to when you acquire companies, when you guys acquired, was it Happy Feet? How many employees or how many franchisees do they have? So Happy Feet is a chain of stores, 11 stores down in the Tampa area and down south to Naples. So during integration, one of the common things in a lot of mergers and acquisitions, you have a high turnover rate. And for all my European listeners, I'm talking about people leaving, not revenue. <laughs> we have people on the show from Europe and then a lot of listeners, probably about 25. I don't think you could fire people in Europe. I thought that was the rule. No, they call revenue turnover. So when you say turnover over there, they're talking about the revenue. But when I just use that phrase instead of saying people leaving and then realize I used it on this show and I have audiences from both sides of the pond. That said... People leave a lot during these during these mergers and acquisitions. They lose employees because they don't the change. Does that happen when you buy a franchise? Did you have franchisees wanting to sell out on that acquisition or did you have any? No, that acquisition was very good for the franchisees. And I think they would say the same thing because, it again, it helped us get that scale that we needed to really ramp up. We did have quite a bit of turnover at the acquisition. It was... Um, owned by a man and a woman before we bought it. The man had passed and the woman was still running it. And a lot of the employees were very close to her, very loved her. And I love her. She's a great lady, a, a sweet lady. I talked to her yesterday, actually. I can see why they all loved her. And I can also see why they all called her with every issue that they had. When we bought it, a new kid in town and we're different. And some of the employees didn't like the difference. And that's their, that was their prerogative. In fact, I've always taken the position if we're, if you don't want to be here, please don't be here because there, there are lots of folks who do want to work with us, like our pace, like our culture. 
And so the employees who have stayed have, I think, really enjoyed it and seen the opportunity and being part of a large organization. And we're really thankful for them staying. And likewise, we're thankful for the people who didn't feel like it was a good fit and left. Yeah. I was just curious because I didn't know if it was going to be different on this when a, in a franchise model versus a, a brick and mortar. Well, those are all brick and mortar. It was a brick and mortar chain. It still technically is. So we just, mm-hmm. they're just corporate stores now yeah. as part of the Foot Solutions holdings. Okay, cool. I don't know why I thought it might be different because, I mean, it's all human dynamics. The reason people leave and don't like change and stuff has to do with human psychology more than it does with the fact it's a franchise or a non-franchise or that. Let's talk about how fast did you realize that COVID wasn't going to be bad for you? It had to be startling at first. When it first started to happen, lockdowns started occurring. What was your gut reaction? And when did you start having indications like, okay, we're going to make it through this thing. It's not going to be that bad on us. We have some wins inside of this. Really bringing back some PTSD. I really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> it was a gradual thing, if you remember. It was like two weeks to to flatten the curve, if you remember that, which then turned into a month. So it was a much, it was a pretty gradual thing. And like most people, I think we were thinking, okay, well, we're just going to all sit at home for two weeks and then we'll be back to normal. We just really dramatically cut down what we didn't have to spend. Luckily, we have some high net worth behind this business, high net worth individuals and Nobody expected the business was going to be amazing in year one. We didn't get into it because we needed the cash flow right away. So there wasn't any pressure from my shareholders, thank God. And uh, the franchisees were thankful to have somebody on their side and working on behalf of the team. And we really worked with a lot of them to keep them up up and running. And we helped them apply for PPP loans, did all that. And in a lot of cases, advised them in, hey, it's probably best not to do this right now or do that right now. We had a big advantage because we were in a 10,000 square foot facility when we first bought Foot Solutions as part of the original acquisition where they were renting. But the headquarters, we didn't need to be that big. We were still a small team. During COVID, we opened a store. We got a really good deal to open a store because nobody wanted to open a store, but we knew we had to have one locally so we could know what we were doing. And so for several months, we just sat in the back of that store with our laptops. I've got pictures of us. <clears throat> Again, it was a small team that was on the corporate team, quote unquote, it was probably four or five people that needed to be in an office and working together. And we do a lot of milling. We do mostly 3D printed customs now, but we mm-hmm. uh, do a lot of milled custom as well. We had these mill blocks. And we were just sitting them on our laps and our laptop on top of a milling block <laughs> and working. And that's like growing up, uh, growing up poor. You sort of appreciate what you have now. We have a nice office now and several locations and a good team and support. And we don't have to wear every single hat like we used to, but we appreciate the fact that that's the case. And I think if we'd have started, if it had gone gangbusters from the beginning, we would be feeling great financially, but I'm not sure uh, spiritually, emotionally, we'd be in the same place. Yeah, you got to have to have some bond and some connection of making it through. Some of the best companies on the planet started during rough times and made it through rough times. And it's a growth experience for us. Some of our best lessons in life in multiple realms come from the hardships. That is absolutely true. There is joy in suffering. So uh, let's talk about the future. Like, what does it look like? You're back to selling some franchises. Are you looking for more acquisitions? It sounds like you had some stuff overseas already. What is the future of Foot Solutions? Well, we're really focused on the U.S. market. There's room to grow for years and years. I think mm-hmm. we, we're focused on bringing in more franchises, at least for the next few years, because we have that scale and we can support them. We are always acquisitive, always looking for other acquisitions. 
overseas, we've got, we just partnered with a, with a company in Canada to grow the Canadian market and sort of be us over in Canada, which we're excited about. But we're really opportunistic when it comes to the future. If you could see the presentation that I gave to the investors on the Foot Solutions acquisition when we first did it, I mean, it's like what, and I was like the, I don't like Mike Tyson personally, but his quote, you always have a plan until you get hit in the mouth. And there's lots of quotes about war until the first shot's fired. So I'm reluctant to say like, well, in five years, we're going to have X amount of stores and that sort of thing. I really don't know. I just know we're going to grow as fast as we can while still maintaining our quality. And we always say we're not going to grow any faster than we can hire superstars. I'm just not going to grow so fast where we have to put somebody in that seat. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. We just need somebody in that seat. We're not going to do that. If we're doing that, we're growing too fast. Right. Do you guys do some type of like a heat map or anything like that? You have a map of all your franchise locations and then population densities and like marketing nerd stuff. Do you guys take a look at like, okay, here's some strategic locations. If we're going to sell some franchises and we're going to spend some money looking for franchisees doing advertising or whatever, this is probably regions we really need to stand up stores. Yeah, it's a good question. And we are focused on regional hubs. I don't mind saying we don't have that many competitors anyway. So we're really focused on growing where we're planted. I think we, Food Solutions, made a mistake early on by just spreading itself too thin and trying to, having one store in Tulsa on its own, although it's a very good store run by a very charming lady, it's all on its own. And so you don't have buying power. You can't share people. You can't share inventory. You can't buy TV because it doesn't make 1500 square foot store shouldn't spend five grand a month on TV. It doesn't make any sense. So we're really focused on building the brand and regional hubs. And we have a handful of hubs that we're actively looking at. Were you aware that I'm from Tulsa? You mentioned that before oh. we got on the call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was like, did you just bring that one up or did you realize that uh, we moved here from Tulsa? So uh, Tulsa area, I actually think I've been in the foot solutions there. I like really high-end walking shoes and stuff like that. So I don't typically yeah. go to, and then my wife uses orthopedic inserts when she stands for very long. So we don't typically go to like normal box chain stores. We go to someplace that can take a look at our feet and give us better shoes. So you want to branch out towards they can support each other and stuff like that. So you're looking for the, in regions you have established uh, connections and, or sorry, stores already up. If somebody out there right now has a small chain of foot stores and they're thinking they want to chat with you. What would you be looking for in a future acquisition if you were if you were to look for one at all? Well, the main thing is that the center of gravity can't be the people who are running the store or they can't be the people who are leaving, I should say. Mm -hmm. That's a big issue with the mom and pop stores that want to sell. It's like, well, okay, all the customers love you. You're the one who has all the expertise. You know the market and you're wanting to ride off into the sunset. That's not That doesn't work. In terms of value, what do you have? You just have a some inventory and a customer list. So for anybody who's wanting to sell, and I used to work in M&A for a long time, anybody wanting to sell, you really need to put in place the infrastructure for the business to operate without you, unless you're selling the business with you as mm -hmm. part of the package. But even then, the buyers are going to be a little bit skeptical about handing you a large check and you sticking around, or at least being as focused as you were prior. So you have to be, you have to have people in place and the structure in place to be able to walk away eventually. Some buyers will, of course, help you with that transition. But if you're a small company, if you're what you're talking about, a small chain of, of retail foot care stores, you can't be the main point of contact or you can't be the main center of gravity. So they need to have already made the shift where there's somebody else taking that main role 
same thing when we look for if we're acquiring anything is the key operator leaving right in any business that's a detriment but in a business where you're a service based i can truly like this orthopedics and shoes and i mean we will buy some like that but it's just not worth as much if you're a small business owner and you want to sell for the highest value make sure you put somebody in there who can run it after you're gone yeah awesome i keep wanting to ask you if you actually do you work with any of the chiropractors that specialize in hands and feet and that type of stuff we have a personal family friend who flies around does seminars teaching mostly chiropractors how to deal with like plantar fasciitis and that's how I met him my foot was killing me for a while there and I went to him and he adjusted my feet for weeks gave me a, a prescription or you call it inserts to go into my shoes and that's how I started meeting us then we became friends but he travels and teaches doctors on how to adjust feet and stuff because a lot of chiropractors just were never taught yeah, yeah we get a lot of referrals from chiropractors most of our referrals come from podiatrists chiropractors and physical therapists and orthopedists don't they we don't adjust people's backs so we try to say look maybe you should send the foot people to us and we'll send the back people to you sort of thing right. so it all is all about alignment and the ones who are doing it do recognize mm -hmm. that and it's good but i would say we're probably better at doing customs than a chiropractor would be in general but yeah, we do. We work with a lot of chiropractors, a lot. A lot of people who are, especially on the sporting side. So we do work with mostly a 40 plus population, but mm. we do have a lot of folks that are high performance athletes that get their custom orthotics and get their footwear from us. I can see that a lot. Before I blew both my knees out, I had six knee reconstructions and gained all this weight. I actually did full contact MMA for a long time and mostly in the gym. I've been in the ring a few times. I realized after... My second loss ever, I got knocked out really bad and I realized I didn't want to be hit in the head. But, you know, I had way too much education to be hit in the head that hard on a regular basis. I'm trying to get to the point here on the future of it. A lot of the guys listening here are trying, they're acquisition entrepreneurs and they're trying to make that decision. Do I go the franchise model and buy somebody else's system process and just own one or more franchises and do it that way? Or do I just buy a company that's up and running, maybe franchise it one of these days? So there is this line in the sand for acquisition entrepreneurs to figure out to buy a proven model and or to just buy a company. What is your franchisee requirements? What would you look for if somebody's listening to this show and they're thinking about making that that line, drawing that line and figuring out whether they want to own a manufacturing company or a set of shoe stores? What would you look for and what would you tell those guys that they need to, what skill sets would they need to have to be a franchisee of you guys? Well, there's a few questions in there, I guess. If I was making a decision about whether to open something on my own or buy a franchise model, that to me, it seems like a pretty simple calculation in your head. Well, do I need to buy into a dog grooming franchise? I don't know. I mean, how many customers do they send you? Maybe if they're sending you enough customers to make it worth paying the royalty, maybe. But it's not like somebody needs to teach you how to outfit a van to shampoo a dog off, right? Sure, I'm making that sound more simple than it is, but that would be the question. Like, well, can I do this easy on my own or do I need help doing it? And that's one of the reasons Foot Solutions was interesting to us because there is a very high bar to entry. You don't really want to be a shoe store unless you have a big brand behind you because you're not getting the discounts and you're not going to be successful usually. But on the custom orthotics side, you really have to have the expertise foundation and we've got that and are able to train it. In terms of what we're looking for in a franchisee, <clears throat> not to be flippant about it, but we need somebody to be very cashed up. I think one of the problems with the brand prior to us getting here was if you had enough money for the franchise fee and heartbeat, okay, here you go. You're a franchisee without discussions. And I don't want to disparage the previous regime. Maybe there were discussions about working capital, but it didn't seem like it. 
And a lot of the franchisees, of course, failed because retail goes up and down, as does the economy. So we need somebody to be comfortable with the cash requirements. Plus, from a foot solutions perspective, this is an annuity investment. It is not a replace my income investment. You are putting time and money into building a customer base for the really the first few years of owning the franchise. Of course, if you sell somebody a burger, they might come back the next day and buy a burger. But if you sell somebody a franchise or you sell somebody a custom orthotic, you're probably not seeing them for a couple of years unless they come in and buy a pair of shoes. And if it's a dude, he's probably buying it 12, every 12 months or 18 months when it falls apart. If it's a female, of course, you can sell more than one pair a year to a female consumer. So you really have to be cashed up and you have to have the patience to get to that kind of three, four year mark where you start to see the same customers in year two. And then you saw those same customers in year three that also came in year two. And it really starts to build on itself. And and we can see a real clear path after that sort of three year mark. What happens? It just starts to really start to ramp, which is nice. Our repeat customer numbers are, are really spectacular. But if you have the cash and you're willing to be patient, the other thing is just attitude. We spend more time at work than we spend at home, unfortunately. So the people who are who we invite into this franchise are people that we like, I mean, simply put. And the people that we like are not just competent, but they're genuine. And we, we want people who are going to be genuine, trustworthy, and competent. The kind of people that you want to be your friends are the kind of people that you want to be your franchisees. I mean, it's really that simple. And I imagine you have to have a really good service mindset to to want to be in this space because everybody walking through your door, maybe I'm making this up in my own head, but in my mind, everybody walks through your doors in a little bit of pain and not in a great mood, right? Because they're coming to an orthopedic because they're dealing with something. Their feet, at least the guys, most guys are like me, and I I assume they are, is we don't go to the doctor until it's like, it's getting distracting. I got other stuff to do. So if I come to you or when I show up to a shoe store for orthopedics or something, it's because I've got enough pain in my feet. It's distracting me from doing my normal day-to-day stuff. So everybody that walks in your door is grumpy, in my mind. So so if you had somebody in that just didn't deal with difficult people, then I could see where that would be a... Well, I don't really want franchisees necessarily working in the store. It's the people that they hire that, that need to be cheerful and okay. pull people back from the pain. Although it's fine. If you want to own a franchise and work in the store, that's good too. In fact, that can be more successful because you know the market, you know the customers, and you're really controlling your own destiny. But yeah, you're exactly right. People come to Foot Solutions a lot of times for a reason. Our conversion rates are very high because typically you walked in there because you knew you needed something. and You needed a solution. Although we do have quite a bit of walk-in customers that just want to buy a pair of Brooks or buy, buy a pair of Birkenstock, and that's fine too. But the people who really need foot solutions come in there. They know what they're, what they're there for. They're wanting to spend the cash on getting their feet healthy and feeling good. And then they thank you for it. It's not a cheap service. Well, the service is free, but then the product is not cheap. But they walk out feeling better and they get, they're able to get back on their feet and they're happy for it. So we're really providing a service and helping people and getting paid for it, which is a real benefit. Does your franchisees or you ever think about advertising near places where the majority of the work is worth orthopedics? So I'm thinking about my wife works at, well, I told you a little bit before we live in the Redwood Forest. What I didn't tell you is we're kind of digital nomads, meaning that we own a tiny home. This studio you're looking at is a portable studio. It's a small okay. cargo container we cut down and turn into a recording studio. That said... My wife always works wherever the best benefits are because that way we have medical for the kids and stuff. Within a week or two of being at the casino, we realized, really realized that standing up that much for her was really hurting her feet. So she ended up going to the doctor and she wears special shoes, probably from a store just like yours. I don't know which one she went to here in the Santa Rosa area, uh, but she got 
tennis shoes that were not your normal. <laughs> she got orthopedic tennis shoes that were prescribed. Yeah, is it helping her? Is she feeling better? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're not your normal tennis shoes either. They're, I think they were like two or 300 bucks. If you go to Vegas, you're more than likely the people who are serving you and at the tables are wearing foot solutions. Something they bought at foot solutions. There's two in the Vegas area yeah. and they serve those casino workers like crazy. Any place where the employee's standing up for more than eight hours or six hours at a time, it would be high traffic. I'd say if I was in your shoes and I opened a franchise, I'd like, okay, where there's a lot of casinos, where there are a lot of restaurants where the waitresses are up on their feet all the time. Because yeah. those are the typical workers, even I guess some factory workers where there's long shifts where they work four tens and stuff like that. If they're up on their feet for more mm-hmm. than six or eight hours, it's going to be typical. But then a few years, gonna... there's an absolute need. And I, I want to shout it from the rooftops. You don't have to live with foot pain. You, yeah. you don't. Uh, I know you're on your feet all day, but we can fix that. Yeah. I know it's a big difference for me and my wife, so I appreciate that. We're running towards the top of the hour. If somebody could remember two or three things about your experience in the acquisition and merger space, what would you want to leave them with as far as takeaway for today? People thinking about making acquisitions and growing through acquisitions. Well, for an individual business owner, I would say it's not as hard as it looks. I think it's really not rocket science. It just takes a lot of nerve and it's a little, it's a lot of extra work, but buying companies and building, as long as you got the right people in place, it can be done. If you're an owner and you're, and you want to make strategic acquisitions, you very much can do that. You might need some help. You might need some support, but it really isn't rocket science. There's a lot of terminology in the finance world and in mergers and acquisitions in general. I can explain to you what each one of those terms mean in, in 15 seconds and you'll get it. Right. You understand it. Just naturally, you're going to understand it. Same way with economics. Economics is not that complicated as long as it's explained on terms that are applicable to your life. So that's, I would say that to someone, if you're a strategic buyer and you want to do that, if you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking, I want to buy a company and run it, same thing, same thing. Approach it with humility though, because I, I can tell you it's been a real challenge on my end to sort of step back and say, maybe I don't know how to do it better than that person does. I think a lot of times I can have one meeting and be like, oh, well, I know what needs to happen there. It's not true. I don't know what needs to happen there. I need to spend a little more time with the people who've been doing it for several years and learn and learn before I start making assumptions about what I can do better than what the other person can. But taking the leap and buying a company and being an entrepreneur and growing a company, I really think as long as you've got capital behind you and some competency in the industry, or you at least have a good grasp of the basics of business, you can do it. I think everybody who wants to be should, should go out and do it, should go out and be an entrepreneur, whether you buy a franchise or, or buy an existing business. And by the way, it's not that hard to structure a deal either that makes sense. I've got some friends who I had a call last week with a friend who wants to buy a business and he said, well, I don't know where I'm going to come up with half a million dollars to buy this small business. So, well, that's what banks are for. Do you, do you have a hundred thousand? Let's go get you an SBA loan and see what the bank will give you because you want your cash from cash return to be, to be high. You might as well go out and borrow the money to do it. So it just takes a little nerve and a little bit of competency. And it's really not all that hard. It's not like we're doing something that complicated. In fact, most of what you do will be basic blocking and tackling. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you here today. And I like learning from people that have been out there and done it. Is there anybody out there big enough in your competitive space? I guess the word I'm getting to, is this a long-term hold for you guys and your investors? Or is this five to 10 years from now, we're probably going to find a strategic acquisition to acquire us? Or is that something you're not ready to talk about? <laughs> I, I don't want to put you totally in the spot here. No, I get asked that a lot. And a lot by the franchisees too. Well, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to get it to a certain point and sell it? I'd say probably the most likely scenario is a recap a private equity recap in which I'm selling not just the company, but our executive team as well. I can't ride off into the sunset in a private equity transaction. We're having fun. It sort of goes back and forth in my head. We're, as long as we're having fun and growing, I'm not in any hurry to sell. I don't need a big house on the beach or anything like that. I just, I enjoy what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you here today. Any p- final parting words you want to say before you take off? Oh, I appreciate the interest in Foot Solutions. Anybody wants to learn more, go to footsolutions.com. The franchising link is all the way at the bottom. So if you're looking for it, it's all the way at the bottom. But we'd love to hear from you and uh, I hope to stay in touch. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here and we'll call that a show. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now